0: listening to the CXMH podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vohr, and I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you today?
0: Hey, Robert, I'm doing good. How are you?
1: I'm good. Yeah. I'm having a good day. So, yeah. Oh, you know what I thought about is, it seems like in a lot of the intros we've done recently, I've talked uh-huh. about how I don't feel good, mm. which I don't, I mean, maybe somebody listening noticed or whatever, but you know, it's, we started Gray in like full-time daycare in August. And so these things kind of happen, but this mm-hmm. week so far, none of us are sick. So we're rolling with that.
0: Oh my gosh. That's awesome. No, that's totally worth celebrating. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, that first like year or fall when your kids are in daycare of any kind or school of any kind, it's like all of the things come home with them and like all the the germs. And so I'm really glad that you're feeling good and nobody's sick. That's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm feeling good. How was your writing retreat this week?
0: Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, it was – so good um i a few of my colleagues here in the school social work and some folks over in the school business went out to to write at a retreat about 30 to 40 minutes away from Waco and it was such a nice needed quiet space to get a couple of papers that i've kind of had lingering for a while like wrapped up and sent out Um, But then I also, I mean, what I love about these writing retreats is that there's space too for like just spiritual reflection and silence and solitude and stillness and uh, meditation and fellowship. And so it was good. I really missed being around Corey and the kids, um, especially with some of the upcoming trips I've got, you know, and I'm a little nervous about all those, but, but it was, man, it was good. It was really good. Good. yeah, yeah thanks for asking. yeah what about y'all? Did y'all have a nice weekend?
1: yeah, we went to like a pumpkin patch and explored uh, that and things like that. So we've been kind of leaning into like the fall aspect of things, even as it's like kind of teetering on the edge. you know, sometimes it feels nice like fall and sometimes it's still a little warm, but uh, yeah. so that was that was fun.
0: Oh that's so good. Actually that's so funny cuz I know, you know we just talked about this, but after we wrap up this little intro, I'm I'm heading out to my daughter's uh field trip at a pumpkin patch. So, I'll be thinking of y'all and Yeah. <laughs> while I'm playing with her at the pumpkin patch, but that's mm-hmm. so fun. Did y'all yeah. get, like pick up a pumpkin and do y'all like carve pumpkins as a family and do all that?
1: Uh, so so Brooke and I have kind of traditionally, obviously, Gray is too young to do that. So right, we yeah. didn't actually get any kind of big ones there. I think we might do that on Friday. Mm. Uh, just Brooke and I go to, you know, Kroger or whatever and get some or something. But we got Gray picked out a, a very tiny one. Not that he fully Aww. comprehended, but we thought, oh, you can, you know, whichever one you hang on to the longest, we'll grab yeah. that. And then we got a couple other kind of like palm-sized ones just for like the house. And, you know, I was going to take one into the counseling office and stuff like that. So we got a handful of small ones. But coming up here, maybe we're going to go get the the big carving ones. The big one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit since I know you have a pumpkin patch to get to. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this interview. and what all it is, yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. So, y'all, this week we have Reverend Dr. Angela Gorel. She is an assistant professor here at Baylor University. Her focus is on practical theology, and we talk with her mainly about um, her book that had recently come out that's called Always On. We talk a little bit about kind of what led up to this book and up to her focus um, in this area around media, well, new media is what she calls it, um, and contemporary culture, and you know how this plays out in our day-to-day lives. Um, what new media is, and whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, and and then mainly focusing on like how does this then tie into like our Christian journey and faith journey. Um, so the, the subtitle actually of the book is Practicing Faith in a New Media Landscape. And I just think she does such a great job of weaving in, you know, just this conversation around new media, which, um, as she explains it, this ties in with, you know, Netflix and YouTube, but also social media and, you know, just all the different ways that we're connected um, te- with technology. But just thinking about how does this play in with our our own personal faith journeys, but also within faith communities and kind of how we need to be having conversations about this very intentionally. So I don't know. I loved this conversation. I thought, I mean, I really, it was good to connect with Angela just, you know, as a, a colleague at Baylor, but also I think this conversation is really practical and helpful for our audience. Wherever you yeah. are, whatever it is that you do, I think, I really think she she makes this applicable for, for really anyone.
1: So. Yeah. No, I totally agree.
0: Yeah. Did you, I mean, what about you? Did you have any other thoughts or takeaways from this
1: chat? Well, I mean, I, I know we touched on it some in the, in the conversation, but I mean, I think moving beyond the, is all technology good or bad or, yeah, you know, I think it's easy to kind of lump all things into, well, social media is harmful or like, well, now we're all just binging Netflix and wasting our lives. Like, I think it's easy to kind of dismiss things in, in that sense. And she moves much much further beyond that and says, look, these things are here. They're probably around to stay. Yeah. And if that's the case, then can we use them as tools for spiritual development or, you know, there's good aspects, there's bad aspects, like with all tools, things like that. So yeah. I just I really appreciated that as kind of a a, a balanced approach and saying, look, I'm not coming at this as get off your phone. I'm coming at it as how do we as faith communities and as individuals, like you said, how do mm-hmm. we utilize these tools for you know, what they could be used for theoretically, you know, yeah. and, and things like that. And so I liked it.
0: Yeah, me too. I guess well, we can just shift and get out of the way so that our listeners can hear this episode. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, I hope y'all. You enjoy this episode with Angela Gorel.
0: Enjoy, y'all. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today we have on Dr. Angela Gorel, who is an assistant professor of practical theology. Prior to joining the faculty at Baylor University, she was an Associate Research Scholar at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. She is an ordained pastor with 14 years of ministry experience and has earned her bachelor's in youth ministry from Azusa Pacific University, an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary, and her PhD in practical theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. Dr. Gorella is passionate about finding issues that matter to people and shining the light of the gospel on them. And her expertise is in the areas of theology and contemporary culture, education and formation, new media, and youth and emerging adults. Dr. Gorella,
2: I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to talk to you all today.
0: Oh, we are honored by your presence. Yeah. Before um we dive in, is there anything that I missed in your your fancy bio
2: there? <laughs> no, I think I think you've covered it. That sounds that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
1: well, I should well, I should ask. I know obviously Holly introduced you as Dr, which totally obviously you have a PhD, but when I went to your website, the little heading says Reverend Dr. Do you, uh, you, right. you use both of those or which one of those do you use more?
2: Uh, no, definitely. I well, I use Angela the most and I encourage <laughs> anybody who would like to talk to me to call me Angela. But I probably get called Dr. Gorel more than Reverend Gorel these days. But definitely, mm. be, you know, I was a pastor for so many years that Reverend Gorel was a beloved thing in the sense mm. of just,
1: mm. uh,
2: you know, I feel like my work in in higher education is really an extension of my call to ministry. And so um, I would want people to know if they come to my website that I'm not just someone who's talking about theology who doesn't have an appreciation and a love for the church. You know, I'm someone yeah. who, mm. who writes and thinks about theology and researches it in light of, like you know, for the sake of the church.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. So Reverend Dr. Girl, (laughs) um, on that note, I do-
1: Yeah, that wasn't wasn't at all a shot at you, Holly. I was just curious. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Um, No, I love that. I'm really glad you asked because I think that's important. I think it is important. But I also honor that you had said that you prefer Angela. So- if it's if that's okay with you, we'll we'll kind of go with the Absolutely. Does that sound good. Okay, yeah. awesome. Well, before we dive into talking about your book, you know, I I had unpacked a little bit about your background in higher education. Do you mind telling us a little bit about
2: your journey overall into ministry and into the work that you're doing today? Yeah, I am definitely someone who stumbled into getting a PhD. That was not my intention growing up or even until my late 20s that I actually began to think about getting a PhD and then pursuing that degree. I have wanted to be in youth ministry since I was in seventh grade myself, which is funny, but I had mm. a youth pastor named Dale uh, Dale Glover, and he was an extraordinary youth pastor, an extraordinary human being, and he really modeled just this this sort of adult who was so invested in young people's lives but then also really empowering uh, of young people and so when i told him in seventh grade i'd had a pretty radical experience at a a youth conference where i felt called to ministry and i won't go into that but just a kind of a spiritual emotional experience feeling called to ministry and when i told dale about it he said and even though I, we were at a, a southern baptist church at the time he said, you should, you should preach at youth group. And if you you should lead it, you know, and so a few months later, that was his response. You know, I'm 13 Mm -hmm. years old and his and we had about 85 to 100 students in our youth ministry. I mean, it was big. So it wasn't like a small thing that he was asking me to talk, you know, and he didn't, Mm -hmm. I remember he didn't micromanage me or anything like that. He was very much like, Angela, do whatever you want to do. And I got to lead youth group. And from that time on, I felt not only called to ministry, but empowered to do it through the leadership of people in my church. And as I went into high school and then was trying to decide what college to go to and all those sorts of things it just never changed for me. I always wanted to be someone who invested in youth the way that Dale had invested in me and other people in my life as well. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up at Azusa Pacific in the first class that they had there graduating with a degree in youth ministry. And I felt really lucky to be able to do that. Had some incredible professors like Amy Jacober, who uh, taught me, who led the way for me, and then ended up, at Fuller, you know, and I was under the, I had professors like Kara Powell, who leads the Fuller Youth uh, Institute, and then Chap Clark. And I ended up being able to, so I always kind of kept one foot in youth ministry, and then one foot in the academy. And Mm -hmm. I was always using my work in the academy to inform my youth ministry that I was doing in churches, and in camps, and in all different, you know, Para church ministry and all those sort. Of, I've done youth ministry in all the different kinds of contexts. Um, sometimes all at the same time. <laughs> and but I was using my degrees, my work, my my educational work to kind of inform what I was doing on the ground. But then all always it was in my relationships with young people that I was learning, oh, this is what young people are going through today. This is how what they're going through relates to their faith, or this is how God might be speaking into what they're going through. And so I was always taking the lives of youth with me back to the academy as I studied, as I read, as I thought about different things that I was learning. And so I was invited by Chap Clark to help him work on, there was a group of us while we were getting our MDiv, while I was getting my MDiv at Fuller to work on Hurt 2.0 a second edition of that book in researching and thinking about teenagers lives in America and it was through that research work that then chap said to me you know Angela I don't know if you've ever thought about it before but I think you're a good researcher and maybe hmm. you should think about getting a PhD and continuing to do this you know take this to another level and so I thought about it I ended up getting into the PhD program at Fuller. And I continued to be a youth pastor for the, for five years while I was doing my PhD work. And it was actually- oh my gosh. And, wow. Yeah, it was Whoa. actually <laughs> in the church basement that mm-hmm. in fall 2011, hanging out with teenagers when I started to notice while I was doing my PhD work, how much social media was becoming really prominent in these young people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to commit my- Dissertation uh, work to understanding the social media's impact on people's lives in America, because of, it was you know something that I saw in youth ministry. Yeah,
0: no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm, uh-huh. I'm just I, I I know that you know going through the PhD program is no small feat in and of itself, but knowing that you had continued to walk alongside and serve as a youth minister, I think that's incredible. Um, mm-hmm. But I love how you, you know, yeah, just how you got to that point of of recognizing that this is a topic that you want to study for your dissertation. That's so neat.
1: And I love, I, I obviously a PhD and a master's aren't the same, but I taught uh, high school for the years that I was at doing my master's in counseling, so have a little bit of kind of experience there. But also, I love that your background is in youth ministry, right? Like okay. I, I work mostly with youth and adolescents, and so have. A huge heart for that population in particular. And I think it's obviously helpful in terms of kind of looking ahead, right? Like where are we headed media wise, social media wise, technology wise? Because youth usually are the ones that kind of hop on those things before the general population.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, this book that we're going to talk about today, you have a new book and it is called Always On Practicing Faith in a New Media Landscape. Before we get into some of kind of the practical, you know, what you, what suggestions you have, things like that, can you tell us a little bit about when you say new media, what exactly does that mean? What all are you encompassing there?
2: Yeah, I wanted the book to be about more than social media. It certainly focuses on social media a lot because that's where most of the research, especially as it relates to mental health has been, and you know, the health and well being of people. Uh, It's been mostly related to social media. But new media is a large category uh, that encompasses all sorts of technology. So, the technologies that we use, like laptops, smartphones, but then also different actions that we do in a social media or a new media landscape, like blogging, you know, creating websites, those sorts of things. So new media is this large category that incorporates or integrates all these different things that are going on in a new media landscape. So not just what we're doing in, on social media platforms, but the different practices like blogging that we're doing and then different technologies. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And I know that in uh, some research where they're, you know, doing oh, how ma- how many hours of screens do you look at and then trying to correlate that with, you know, rates of anxiety or depression or whatever, right? One of the kind of big problems with some of that is what do you mean by screens, right? Because some people are actively blogging, yeah. some people are doing social media, some people, right? So like it, I appreciate that you kind of have that bigger lens instead of just, well, yeah, social media or kind of this broad brush, online stuff, you know.
2: Right. Yeah. And so it also it, when I say new media, I mean texting, I mean email, and a lot of times when we say social media, people think of just Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the big ones that we use all the time, but even social media itself has different categories like YouTube where, you know, so there are platforms where you can download content and upload content. And that's a different sort of site than a networking site like Facebook where or where a different site where you know, Facebook, that's its emphasis is on networking, you can certainly download and upload content, but it's, it's it's on there's, so just different social media platforms have different emphases. And I think that's important to also realize. And so yeah, when I say new media, I'm talking about all the different possibilities of different actions that we can take and different devices we might use those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. Because that was another thing is that I realized when I was talking to adults, a lot of times about the new media landscape, when I was talking about it in terms of social media, a lot of them would say, well, I don't really use social media. So you must not be talking to me. And I'm saying, no, mm-hmm. if you use Google Maps to get somewhere, you are part of the new media world. Like if you stream your television and movies through something like Netflix, you're a part of the new media landscape, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so this this yeah. landscape is impacting all of our lives. And that's that was the hope with the book title. Yeah, No, that's that's good.
0: Yeah, it's it's good. That intentionality of um, widening it, I think, is, is good. Well, along these lines, you know, I think you have a pretty balanced argument about new media overall in the beginning, but then you start getting into a little bit about why we need to be having these conversations within a faith context. Do you mind unpacking some of that?
2: Yeah, there's numerous reasons that I think it's important to talk about new media in faith context, but I'll just name a few. One um, one is that people are living their lives not just in physical spaces, but in digital ones. And so what we have is, and this is something that I think is really important for pastors and various types of Christians who are leading Christian communities to realize, what we have is is. An issue of pastoral care moving from just thinking about physical spaces to thinking about digital settings. Mm. And so when we ask people in our congregations or different types of Christian communities about their lives, I think we want to begin to ask questions about their new media lives as well. So how when we ask someone, you know, how, how are things going? How is God speaking to you? When have you experienced joy? When have you last experienced anger or what's making you sad? Or let's talk about your anxiety. We want to be asking them not just about their physical experiences at school or in their relationships or at work or at their houses, but also online because we spend so much of our time in these digital spaces. And so that's one thing mm-hmm. that I think, you know, we just, when it comes to pastoral care, we want to be caring about all of people's lives. And so much of our lives, you know, is in, are, are happening in digital spaces that we just need to, we need to think about them and ask about them. And then a mm-hmm. second thing mm-hmm. that I see is that when I, I did a national survey about social media and Christian formation for my dissertation, and the most I mean, I think one of the most important things that I determined was that a lot of people that were responding to the survey, and over 1,400 people did in 37 oh, wow. states, wow, and they, a lot of them were having a hard time articulating social media or other types of new media's impact on their faith, and they would say things like to the in the open ended question responses, things like, well, no one's ever asked me this before. And it would be a question like, how does your social media use help you to love God or to love your neighbors? And I realized that, um, and also the majority of people, when I asked them, has your church helped you to reflect or to think about your social media use and how, and its connection to your faith? And the majority of people said, no, my church has Mm -hmm. never had this conversation. And You know, and then I also realized when I would ask people about their Christian formation, about their discipleship, the different ways of thinking about that, but about their sort of faith life, they were saying things like social media doesn't impact my Christian faith because, you know, I do that on Sunday mornings or that is impacted when I'm reading the Bible or when I'm doing explicitly like actions that I think are explicitly Christian in my life. So they had a sort of like static view of Christian formation, not realizing that everything we do every day has something to do with who we are and who we are becoming. Mm. And so I also wanted to help pastors and Christian communities to think about how, and that's where really in chapter two, when I'm talking about how these little actions online might seem quite empty, you know, things like getting online and scrolling or posting or replying or messaging. And I'm saying, actually, they, they can be quite meaningful, these activities. Mm. And they could have a lot to do with who we are and who we are becoming. And so yeah. why don't we think about that together? I love that.
0: I actually, if it's okay with you, yeah. there's a, a bit in chapter two, since you started going there, that I was wondering if you'd mind if I read for our audience that just really jumped out at me when I was reading it go ahead. Is that okay? Okay. So I'm looking at page 41 under where you start writing about seeing online actions as meaning filled, which I think you were just starting to get to there, but you write, Christian leaders might wonder why they should spend time creating space for members in their community to reflect on their online posts and their Instagram and Snapchat stories when there are more pressing issues Christian communities should be discussing. However, every time someone gets online, their choices about what to view, share, post, or express emotion about, what to like, or get angry at, or share about, or share tears about matter. Social media engagement requires people to constantly and often unconsciously answer difficult questions such as, whom should I interact with? When should I speak? And when should I be silent? What should I click? These activities reveal a person's beliefs, values, desires, and judgments. Actions online, like the actions we engage in during in-person conversation, both expose and form our attachments, allegiances, and assumptions, as well as demonstrate how much or how little we engage in critical and theological reflection about these choices. All right, just a little bit more. (laughs) Um, In fact, a person's feelings, habits, disciplines, and activities online and in other forms of communication both reveal and continually shape a person's theology. This is because theology is embodied, exercised, and practiced. Theology is performative. Theology is not merely a set of beliefs, convictions, or ideas about the nature of God. Theology is lived as human beings perform theology in their actions and habits they learn to reflect on it describe it shape it and reform it and Angela i loved that just that whole section right there and how you just bring to life what theology is and, and how it's tied to new media
2: hmm.
0: um, but i don't know if you have any thoughts or reactions to that piece or yeah
2: that's definitely you know. what i was leading up to i mean that was I what i was it. trying to you know to uh, to to point back to in that book because that was what was so evident to me in reviewing the data from my dissertation survey was that this was missing. We weren't having this conversation about how theology is lived and how it might be lived out on social media, you know, and um, but having this sort of in-depth conversation also means having good conversation in churches that about like what theological f- reflection looks like period you know and so yeah that's just what i was what I'm, what i was trying to encourage people to recognize was that what they were doing online every day could actually tell them something about their beliefs and Their convictions, you know, that we could actually, it exposes who we are and it reveals, you know, what we think and believe. And so then it can also help us to be critical, like self-critical in a really positive way. Um, But at the same time that, you know, what's exciting about that is, oh, I can live my faith in the way that I use new media every day. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It's so yeah. good,
1: and I love how you're you're pushing beyond obviously, but kind of the the base level conversation of well, social media is bad. These you know these kids are on their phones too much, or you know kind of those easy outs that we it's easy to kind of get trapped in those cul de sacs. And you're saying there's better conversations to be had here that can really help us do what it is that we're trying to do, right? Offer people ways to live out theology and learn about and reflect on and grow and change. Like there's ways that we can use these new tools to do that as opposed to just saying, well, you know, kind of hand waving it all away. Yeah,
2: that was definitely my intention because I was saying, you know, I was hearing over and over again as I, you know, I I give kind of the outline of unproductive, unconstructive conversations that I hear about media all the time. And Mm -hmm. I was saying, I want to have an interested conversation about media. I want to be interested in what's happening in people's lives, interested in what God is doing in this new media landscape, interested in how we might practice our faith in this landscape. And I think that we can have a deeper, more theological conversation than just this is bad or this is good let's everybody needs to have this. We need to hire someone on our staff to take care of social media or everybody needs to put their phone away because it's church now. You know, it just, it felt like it was this sort of all or nothing thing that was happening in a lot of Christian communities. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, this is something that people are getting on every single day. Even if you are not on social media platforms, like I was saying a few minutes ago, we're using devices constantly. We're all, we're, we're constantly using devices. We need to have more thoughtful conversations in church about new media, but also, and not just once, not just one sermon series, and then you move on, but this needs to be become, and that's where I was talking about in the latter half of chapter two, what it, you know, what it looks like to become a hybrid Christian community, a Christian Mm -hmm. community that cares about, like that sees yourselves as doing ministry in both digital and physical spaces all the time.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. That actually, that was one of the next questions that I had was, you know, if you could unpack a little bit about what hybrid living is and what hybrid Christian communities are, you kind of started getting at that. But do you want to unpack that a little bit more?
2: Well, yeah, I just think that a lot of people, when they think about social media or other types of digital spaces that they enter into, they think of it in dualistic terms, like I get online. And then I I spend time online and I'm one kind of person or I'm doing one kind of self. And then I spend time in person with other people. And then that's, and it's just kind of a divided thing, uh, sense that we live our lives, yeah, in divided ways. And I wanna argue, no, we live our lives in hybrid ways we are constantly going back and forth yes between digital and physical spaces but they're influencing each other our in-person conversations impact our digital conversations our digital conversations impact what we say in person to one another similarly like our our daily activities flow back and forth all the time between mediated conversation or mediated practices and in-person practices. And so they're not the same. I'm not suggesting that digital and physical practices or settings are the same. They are different. Just like a mall is different than a football field, which is different than my bedroom at my house, you know, and so I'm going to be a different sort of self in different spaces. And I'm going to reveal and what I mean by that is I'm going to reveal different sides of myself in different spaces. But so they're different, but we they are we live much more hybrid lives than sort of dualistic lives where I'm one self in this place and it has nothing to do with my in-person self. And so I'm just trying to suggest that also a church might begin to think of itself as more of a hybrid community that is ministering to people both in in in-person settings, but also in digital spaces and in digital ways, you know, and through mediated conversation and just starting to think of everything that a church does, whether it's spiritual formation, discipleship, pastoral care, mission, starting to think about or witness, you know, um thinking about these things more in hybrid ways versus just in a particular, you know, physical setting that you might meet together
1: in. That's so good. I think about as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I mentioned that my in my counseling setting, I work mostly with youth, like adolescents and young adults, and so much of what they come in and talk about, you know, you would think, oh, they're going to talk about quote unquote real life, but so much of the interactions and things like that revolve around Online things, right? So, oh, I, I, we were Facetiming or Snapchatting or these comments or this exchange, and even in my own life, right? I have Twitter exchanges that shape me in different ways that give me different reactions, and so to kind of separate out into like real life and online life isn't isn't really addressing the whole person. You're kind of missing a huge chunk of okay. how people are living and interacting, and so how do we engage that part as well as something meaningful again? rather than kind of being dismissive. Mm-hmm. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, and I really do like to try to I really do enjoy trying to talk to young people especially about this idea that that your online life is a real part of you and who you are mm-hmm. and what is going on in your life. It's not fake. And the more that you talk about being online and the more that young people I think tell themselves the story of who I am online is fake, and then the, the more that the or i guess the the more unlikely it is that they're actually going to address it in ways that are meaningful that will help like benefit their mental health and well-being because mm-hmm. if you yeah. if you if you imagine that this sort of the everything that you're doing online is not really a part of your real life it's easy to then dismiss it and not you know, bring it up in conversation, talk about how it makes you feel, share those experiences. Oh, because that's not really me. I'm just, that's Mm. a show that I'm putting on for everybody. But in, there are many spaces in our lives that we perform in a way that we want everybody else to, you know, whether we're at coffee hour at the church, you know, after church, or we are in the hallway at school, or we're in a classroom listening to a teacher, You know, we, we we kind of, we present different sides of who we are depending on the space and what's appropriate and who we're talking to. We do that all the time. And so I I just argue that we do the same thing online and um, that the more that we can realize, oh, there are, there's particular ways that I'm trying to manage myself online. And sometimes the way I'm trying to do that is actually impacting me in really negative ways. And maybe I need to do that Mm -hmm. less. Maybe I'm just over-managing myself. You know, it's it's stuff like that. when we soon start to recognize, no, this is a real part of your life that's actually impacting who you are and who you are becoming and how you think about yourself, your identity formation, your relationships with other people. So it matters whether you feel like you're trying to manage yourself in a particular way that feels fake or not. Mm-hmm. It's still a real, a very real thing in your life that we need to yeah. talk about.
0: Well, and and not just us, but I know you talk in the book too about dehumanizing and recognizing that there are very real people on the other side of, you know, of these spaces that we're in. So I think it's, I think it's good that we're recognizing in ourselves and as you beautifully pointed out in the book, you know, how we're seeing it in others too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Do you, so I I do love how you talked about discernment too and the role of discernment as we're going out and actually engaging with this new media landscape. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that looks like?
2: Yeah, I think that that's the hardest part of this book. I think that people pick up a book like Always On and they want a one size fits all strategy or tips. <laughs> Because I go into, you know, for this is how you deal with social media in your context with yeah. your people. And I go into churches all the time or different conferences or workshops and people want a one size fits all approach. And the only one size fits all approach that we have is is the practice of discernment in the Christian, in Christian communities. And that's that I can't tell you what social media platforms your church should use or how much you should use social media in your lives, or how many devices you should have, or whether you should have a blog. I mean, all of that is really, uh, it's about who God has created you to be, the community that you're a part of, what God has called that community to do in particular, um, both in the neighborhood that it resides in, but then also in digital spaces, you know? And so really this book is a call to discernment and trying to give people ways to practice discernment about new media. And so, because I think that's the most important thing that I can do is, is to say, this is how to have a meaningful, what I call interested conversation about new media in your Christian community. But the hard part of this book is I'm giving you the way to have the conversation, some tools for having this conversation. There's discussion questions at the end of multiple chapters, there's practices that you can do together as a community, there's a rhythm of life that you can come together and kind of discuss as a household or as a small group. As a, um, you know, as a friend group, oh, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to think more, you know, more meaningfully, you know, about our social media or otherwise like new media participation. But at the end of the day, each one of us has w- with our community to do the hard work of discernment. And that's, that's, that's why the reason why it's so important is just, or, or why I'm inviting people is because it's just not I can't just give you a list of tips or strategies Um, This is really a whole realm of life that just needs more attention from each of us. And I also I'm a huge believer in the fact that we serve a God that's very active, a God that through the spirit is always initiating, always asking, always prompting, always walking Mm -hmm. with us. You know, a God that we both um, that, you know, I think Willie Jennings says in his commentary in the book of Acts that like we act and God responds. God acts and we respond. Mm. And I really believe in that. And so as someone, as a practical theologian, I am interested in helping Christian communities to, to say, what does it mean to act in a new media culture and then to imagine that God is responding? What does it mean to imagine that God is responding in our new media landscape? and then to act in response to those initiations. Gosh,
0: I love that. That is so good. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> well, and you do. I think it's I think your your answer is beautiful that that it, there really is an individual unique discernment process through this and and I appreciate your humility in stepping in and saying, you know, you don't have like a one-size-fits-all five bullet point, you know, fix it process, you do have, I will say you do have some, some great practices that I think faith leaders and congregations can consider such as like rhythms of rest and mercy and advocacy, compassion, truth telling, and peace building that you talk about in the book. But I, but I, Appreciate your emphasis on discernment and that this is going to look different for each of us. So that's really good. Well, something that that Robert and I really love to ask authors when they come on, especially when, when we're talking about a book specifically, in recognizing you have poured a ton of energy and thought and passion into writing this book. What would you say your hope for this book would be?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. I have a lot of hopes for it. One is that I have hope that people will have hope <laughs> mm. uh, in this new media landscape. It's really daunting, and even myself, I struggle sometimes with like the very things that I talk about in my book about you know that are the, the most difficult aspects of the new media landscape, like hostility online, harassment, envy, the way, the ways that it can nurture negative social comparison and anxiety and depression with all of the you know impression management that we're all trying to do i think it can feel really because it's so daunting it can feel quite hopeless and it can feel like oh we've moved into this new era that none of us like know what to do with and we can feel paralyzed and i want this book to feel like a bit of hope in a landscape that feels really daunting mm. And, you know, I think that anywhere – the reason why I talk about it having glorious possibilities, this landscape, is because we serve a God that has glorious poss- – the God of glorious possibilities. And so wherever there is God – and I believe God is online and God is with us in the midst of our mediated communication and on in social media spaces and digital spaces, just like God is everywhere – wherever God is, I think there, there are glorious possibilities. And so I I hope that people finish this book thinking, you know what I have, there are ways to have meaningful conversation about social media. And I have hope that God is with us in the midst of this time and that God's going to help our community, our household, our family, our, our, my friend circle. God's going to help us to, to figure out how to move forward in meaningful healthy ways um, in this landscape. And so hope I think is my biggest hope. And secondly, I hope that people feel like they have the tools that they need to ask really good questions about people's social media experiences. There's a part in the book when I when I talk about the fact that Jesus asked compelling, curious, capacious questions. And I, I am a huge believer in um, maybe the Socratic method, but also <laughs> I just am a huge believer that that a few powerful questions can get us a long way. They get us a long way in pastoral care, in relationships. When we sit down with people and we ask them questions that are compelling, curious, and capacious, what I mean by that is that we're asking questions where they just can't really resist. They have to answer you. And questions that show we're curious in the sense that we say, I, you know what? I care about your life and I really am. I'm interested in knowing what's happening. And then capacious enough that there's not a ready-made answer where they you know that whatever they're going to say really is individual to them and i think when we can ask compelling curious capacious questions about the new media landscape that we're going to have much richer discussions about what's going on there has never been a time that i have walked into a setting whether it's a classroom to teach or a conference or workshop to talk about social media and not walked away having had a very deep conversation about life. And oftentimes mm. these sorts of conversations, they start out with people kind of rolling their eyes thinking, oh, this is social media or new media. This is so <laughs> shallow. Like, why are we talking about this? And then by the end, when you start to ask these deeper questions about how, how do you feel when you're online? Or when was the last time that you were angry online and how did that go? or You know, when you start to ask these sort of powerful questions, you get at people's lives. That's what I say. You ask people about social media experiences, you'll learn about their lives. Mm, That is so good, man.
1: You're obviously in the company of, you know, a social worker and a (laughs) a therapist, so people that believe in asking questions and having those conversations. Hey, if you want to connect with Angela, you can find her at AngelaGorel.com or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'll have links to all those in the show notes, or you can buy this book, Always On, practicing faith in a new media landscape wherever you get your books if you want to connect with holly you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on twitter at hollyoxhandler. if you want to connect with me you can find me at robert com or on any social media at robert Boer. angela thank you so much for joining us today and talking a bit about this book and obviously we didn't dig into all of it because that's impossible in this time span but i really recommend people go pick yes. it up do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today
2: well, just to both of you, I want to say it was a great privilege to have this conversation with you. And I appreciate the questions that you asked me, your close reading of the book. Mm. Um, yeah, it just it was very evident to me that you um, took this book really seriously and that you just I really appreciate the questions that you asked. Uh, for leader uh, for uh, listeners, definitely, I would love to connect with you if you want to reach out to me through social media or email me, Angela. Corral at baylor.edu all that stuff I'm, I'm happy to talk to you and um i hope that you'll partner with me and i'm um, basically i wrote this book because i want to pass the baton you know to you and i hope you'll partner with me in having meaningful conversation about social media in your community wherever that is that is so
0: good awesome. angela thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show we are so grateful for your time and yeah we yeah listeners go pick up this book good Well,
2: we hope you have a good day, Angela. Thank you
0: so much. Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.